This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. I do. I don't. I will. I might. Welcome to episode number 48 of Go To Grandma. I'm definitely your host, Kathy Buckworth, and on today's show, we are looking at mergers and splits of the marital kind, that is. Maybe you're a grandparent and you're getting married. Congratulations. But have you thought about how to merge your finances? Should you? I have finance expert and journalist Rubina Ahmed Haq on the show today to give us some advice on what you might want to consider as you enter this new and exciting part of your life. Or maybe things aren't as new and exciting anymore, and you're a grandparent who is going through what is termed a gray divorce. Eva Sachs is a divorce financial specialist, and she'll tell us what a gray divorce is and why it's different than a regular old divorce. We'll also talk about what happens if your grandkids are divorcing and how to protect any financial help you might have given them. Money, money, money. It can't buy happiness, but it sure doesn't hurt. Am I right? And sometimes what makes people very happy is sharing the wealth. Today, on our Take 5 with RBC, we explore philanthropy and what options are available to give and how to choose what works best for you. I'm not asking for your money, but I am asking you to spend some time with me this morning as we make our way through these financial considerations. And for your consideration, stay tuned for Rabina Ahmed Hawk up first. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Rabina Ahmed Hawk is a journalist and personal finance expert. She regularly appears on TV and radio across Canada and writes for several online and magazine publications, including CBC Radio and Television, Global News Toronto, and Global News Radio 640 Toronto. She writes regular columns for several magazines and has a website at rubinaahmedhawk.com. Rubina began her career as a broadcast journalist in 1999. Good morning, Rubina. Thanks for coming on the show today. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me. So we're talking about marriage, marriage between grandparents or seniors. It might not be their first wedding. It might be their second or fourth. What's your biggest concern when it comes to seniors getting married, especially if it's not the first marriage? Well, the biggest concern really is about legacy, right? So if you have children that you have property or investments that you intend on passing on to them, when you get married, it makes that situation more complicated. So it's really about making sure that whatever your wishes are, and often that might be something that you plan to do with the spouse that you had or the partner that you had those children with. So say you set up uh, some investment that you wanted your children to get when, when, uh, when you passed on, and you want to make sure that all of that is protected. Um, and that can be done through legal channels, like make, you know, through a lawyer. I think that more than ever, a prenup is important when you are getting married and you're bringing significant assets to the to the relationship and there are others that could suffer if the situation uh, changed uh, after you passed away and, and another person didn't fulfill those wishes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just really important to make sure that um, all those legal resources that are available, that you are using them, which may not be the case in your first marriage when you have no assets and no children and not much to worry yeah. about financially. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a bit more complicated, so you touched on this a little bit. So the prenup, you think, is really important when there's children from a previous relationship involved. Yeah, I think prenup and will. I think these are the two things that people, and I'm not a legal expert, so I think that this is something that you should speak to your lawyer about. 
But you really want to make sure that whatever your wishes are, are on paper and they have been notarized or they have been seen by a lawyer and it's something that is, you know, is, is official. Um, it's not something that's just been a conversation between you and your children or you and your former spouse. Hopefully your relationship with your former spouse is one that you can speak openly about. Okay, I'm getting remarried. We have these mm-hmm. assets that we share that we wanted to give to our children. And that you can come to some sort of collective agreement of how you're going to manage that. Because when you get married, you merge finances. People often just think that it's just, you know, a relationship. It becomes one, you know, when you become married. Mm-hmm. You're bu- it's like a business merging together. And so there is, and there's other people involved. That person has children as well. That person has ex-spouses as well. So there's more opinions and more people involved. And so it's just really important, I think, to, from the get-go, speak to all the, the right accountants, legal professionals, all the people that are going to guide you to make sure that what you plan to do with your money is what's going to happen. And you touched on the conversations that we need to have. So the conversations, of course, between the two people who are actually getting married, what are their financial situations? They should be obviously very open about and, you know, maybe see proof of what the financial situation is going in. But also should, you know, older Canadians consult with their adult children about getting married and, and all of the finances. Like, how important are those family conversations around finances as well? You know, it really depends on your relationship with your children. I mean, I think about my own kids, and I, you know, sometimes when I'm giving my parents advice, I think I would be really annoyed if my children were telling me this 20 years, 30 (laughs) years from now, right? So you have to be, you know, at the end of the day, like my dad has put me in my place and said it's my money and it's my decision because they have done things that I wouldn't do with my money that I personally think was a bad financial move. But at the same time, if it's something that is going to have a significant impact on their children's financial lives, they should have that conversation. And generally speaking, when you're getting married, you are changing the dynamics of your family, not just Mm. financially, but emotionally and physically, right? Because you're probably moving to a new place as well, or someone is moving somewhere that you can be together. And it's important because your children are the ones that are most impacted by that, you know, whether it be a family holidays or whether it be financials or whether it be anything that's to come, all of that now, they have to consider your partner in that equation. And, you know, from my opinion, again, I'm not a family therapist or a legal expert, but I would (laughs) want my children to be up, you know, front and center because they have been there longer than the person that I'm marrying and they should understand how important it is for me to, uh, for them to have a good relationship with that person and for that person to have a good relationship with my kids. And I guess some of the resources we'd want to tap into would be things like you want your financial advisor, you know, to give you all of your up-to-date state of investments, everything that's going on. And you might want your accountant or your tax accountant more specifically to say, what are the tax implications of me getting together and merging my finances with someone else? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you've been collecting alimony or any kind of child mm-hmm. support from your former spouse, uh, that might be impacted when you get married. So you want to know how your finances, especially for women, are changing when you get married uh, because uh, you may realize that all of a sudden your income stream changes and you want to be prepared for it. And maybe maybe it might make you change your mind whether you want to get married at that moment or not. Um, it's really important, I think, to be upfront and honest. So the financial advisor uh, can give you, obviously, a, you know, a, a good idea of where you're at, but I think you should take that information and, and share it with your spouse. And this is true for anyone that's getting married, is that really be honest about your investments, your debts, your salary, you know, your financial goals. Because if one of your goals is in in, uh, 10 years to buy a cottage, but your spouse says, nah, I owned a cottage 30 years ago with my former spouse, 
It was way too much work. I never want to do that again. It's important, I think, just to put it all on the table. So it's not that it's not going to happen. It's just that that's a huge financial obligation. And that's something that you as a couple now can figure out whether it's possible and is there any compromise that the two of you could come to. Maybe a timeshare is a compromise. But if you never make those financial goals known, how are you ever going to be able to move forward in that relationship and have common goals? Yeah, sharing financial goals is key. I totally agree with that. And I guess one other thing we might need to consider because we're dealing with an older uh, audience is pensions. And what if I'm drawing a pension that was my spouse who had passed away and I'm still getting benefits from that? So we want to look into all of those sorts of things as well. Yeah, so absolutely. So there is a survivor pension, I believe it's called. And it it should be, you should be calling the pension fund or the pension company and asking them, you know, how will my marriage affect these payments? And, Mm -hmm. you know, that may, that may affect your decision as well, because that may be your only source of income. Say you're, say you're a stay at home parent. And that was, you know, the money you relied on came from a one breadwinner. And when they passed on, they, you know, their pension is now supporting you and maybe some investments that you have. You may not want that to be disrupted. So it's really important to think about every month, where does all the income come in from? And how will that be affected when I get married? And make sure you get to the bottom of all those answers, whether it be speaking, like you said, to the pension company or to your lawyer or to your financial advisor. You should have all those things on the table uh, so that you don't, uh, you know, six months from now say, wow, if I had known my financial situation would change this much, maybe a common law situation might have been better. Or, you know, maybe some other, you know, we can be together, but maybe not legally married. Thanks so much for that, Rubina. And if we want more financial information, we can go to your website, RubinaAmethacks.com, or they can find you on Twitter as well. And I will put the connections in the show notes so that people can find you easily. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Take care. Emma Sachs is a recognized expert in financial planning in divorce. She is passionate about providing clients with financial clarity, compassion, and confidence at various stages of their separation and divorce. Eva is a certified financial planner, chartered financial divorce specialist, and certified divorce financial analyst. She is the founder of Eva Sachs Financial Divorce Consulting, a fee-based divorce consulting practice, and she is the founder of Women in Divorce Financial, an information resource for women facing divorce. Good morning, Eva. Thanks for coming on the show this morning. My pleasure. So we're going to get right into it, and you are going to tell me, what is gray divorce? Gray divorce is the phenomenon of people divorcing after long-term marriages. So we don't think that somebody who's been married for 25 or 30 years, if they've hung in there for that length of time, why on earth would they want to get divorced? But it's certainly a growing phenomenon, and the divorce rate for adults age 50 and older has roughly doubled in the past 25 years. And so why is it so different than, say, a divorce that might happen after, you know, five or ten years of marriage? It's different because certainly... Uh, couple of reasons. People really want to honor their, their 30-year marriage in a lot of cases. They don't want to say, gee, this never really happened. Uh, they're certainly concerned about their financial futures. Um, they're closer to retirement or have already retired in most cases. So the issues that they're faced with in terms of whether it's downsizing, uh, dealing with uh, how their estates might be uh, uh, allocated, there's more certainty in terms of what their future might look like than um, when somebody's divorcing in their 20s or 30s or even 40s. Yeah, and you wrote a book, actually, I love this title, When Harry Left Sally, Finding Your Way Through Gray Divorce. And so that's, I assume all these sort of situations are covered in that book as well, if people want to find that. Exactly. 
And it's see, not only when Harry left Sally, it's but when Sally left Harry, which is <laughs> uh, happens more often than not. Is that right? Are the odds mm-hmm. more in, in, mm-hmm. in again in when we research, yeah when we were researching the book, we found that uh, in gray divorces, close to seventy percent of those gray divorces are instigated by the wife. Isn't that interesting? And so the gray divorce, and we just talked through that, that's at the end of maybe a 30-year marriage. Now, what if you're in that type of a marriage? You have kids, you have grandkids, maybe you have provided financial help to your grandkids, and then they're the ones that are getting divorced. So how will we protect that investment? Well, if the grandkids are getting divorced, and let's say in today's world, especially when the hot real estate market that we've seen, so a lot of young people, I'm going to say millennials, who are, are connecting and um, getting together, moving in with somebody or getting married, are it may be in the fortunate position where parents, or I'm going to say grandparents, may be helping them with that down payment. And so to protect that money, if they're, if these uh, millennials, if the grandchildren, in fact, divorce, uh, we certainly strongly recommend that the couple get a marriage contract or cohabitation mm-hmm. agreement in place to protect the money that's come from what we call the bank of mom and dad or the bank of <laughs> grandma and grandpa. So that certainly can protect that in the case of the of the couple getting separated or uh, divorced uh, ultimately. Yeah, there's a lot to consider, isn't there? So there's not only if you're going through a great divorce yourself and then what happens with your sort of your legacy, as you've mentioned already, but take us back to the beginning of that. So let's say I am in a 30-year marriage and I decide, okay, this is what is going to happen. The great divorce is going to go through. What are some of my first steps in terms of the financial perspective of pulling things apart? Well, the great divorcees really are thinking about their personal freedoms, their personal futures, uh, and retirement all at the same time. So it's like the perfect storm. I'm thinking of separating, divorcing. I'm thinking about my retirement. I'm thinking perhaps of downsizing my house. I'm thinking of perhaps whether it's moving into a retirement home or what even is my, you know, Freedom 55 or 65 these days going to look like. So in those cases, there's little room for added concerns such as high conflict and high legal bills. So we certainly, I certainly recommend to any of our great divorcing couples that they have to really strongly consider the options that are available to them in terms of coming up with um, their separation agreement and ultimately their divorce. So this is not the time to be fighting. It's not the time to go to be going to court, spending lots of money. They're spending their hard-earned, whether it's pension income, whether RSPs, right. et cetera, et cetera, and that at the end of the day leaving less for their legacy of their children or their grandchildren. So thinking yeah, clearly a- on, on how they're going to approach this and fighting isn't what they should be doing at all. Yes, especially as you've mentioned that uh, the big earning years could be well behind you so that you have what you have. So you need to make sure that you're protecting that for your own self, but also for your children. Exactly. So Eva, I'm going to get a little personal now because I understand you have grandchildren. You have two grandsons. Tell me about that. Uh, I've got two grandsons. Finn, who is four years old, and Ryder, who is two, and expecting a third um, by the end of uh, July, we hope. Oh, you're going to beat me. I've just got two so far. <laughs> two and a half year olds and a one year old. And they're great fun. And I'm sure that 
Um, you're going to have a lot of great times with them. And I really appreciate you coming on to this show today to tell us about what we need to know about gray divorce, but also divorce through the family, whether it be the children or the grandchildren. You know, things to always keep in mind. I love your tone of keep it civil. This is not a time for fighting. Let's get everything down on paper. I think that's great advice, no matter what stage of life you're in when you're going through a divorce. I think certainly is from a grandparent's perspective, if they're going through divorce, that they still want to feel comfortable, you know, showing up to family events, whether it's mm-hmm. their, their own kids, um, grandkids, birthdays, all the wonderful things that they're going to be celebrating with them. So as much as their relationship with their spouse may be ending, they don't want the relationship with their, their family ending and missing out on all those wonderful experiences. Terrific advice. And if we want some more advice, we can go to you. You have a few websites. One is evasax.com, one is loveandmoney.ca, and the other is the Modern Divorce. And again, your book is called When Harry Left Sally, Finding Your Way Through Gray Divorce. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today, Eva. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. As Director and Head of Philanthropic Services at RBC Royal Trust, Jennifer Button manages the Foundation Management Group accountable for the Charitable Gift Fund Program's offered through the Charitable Gift Funds Canada Foundation. She is responsible for the suitability evaluation of in-kind gifts offered to the Charitable Gift Funds Canada Foundation and for giving advice and guidance to RBC advisors and donors on the use and application of charitable gift funds. Good morning, Jennifer. This morning on our Take 5 with RBC segment, we're going to be talking about philanthropy. So specifically what options are available to give and how to decide what's best for you and your legacy. So more than the generation that came before them, today's Canadians are looking to leave their wealth to charities they believe in. And they want their money to have a positive effect on others' lives when it comes to leaving a legacy. So Jennifer, what are some of the options for those looking to leave a lasting legacy? Great question, Kathy. And I think the first thing is just even considering leaving a lasting legacy through making a gift in your will. There are plenty of options from estate planning, tax benefit planning, to considering leaving a gift for charity in your will to extend or have your assets extend to give back beyond your lifetime. For those that are considering being more strategic in their giving or are thinking about larger sums or longer-term benefits of their gift, then you might want to think about establishing what we call a donor-advised fund. So that really is what it sounds like, is the donor creates basically their own charitable foundation within an existing foundation structure. They can name it, they can set aside their sort of pot of assets, and they can have advisement rights on where that's going. So whether that's causes that are connected to them, the hospital, food bank, animal shelter, et cetera. So typically you're donating that lump sum now, you're naming your donor advice fund or your charitable gift fund, and you're able to spread the assets over a longer period of time to any qualified donee, which is really any of the 87,000 registered charities in Canada. This type of structure can be set up in life or from the estate, and regardless of when you set it up and regardless of how much you give, the same three benefits apply. Give, grow, grant. So you make that donation now, it goes into the charitable sector when it goes into that foundation. The money typically will stay invested and it grows in a tax-exempt manner for you to then grant or disperse out to the hospital, food bank, animal shelter in any dollar figure, depending on the structure you're in, or in to any of those qualified donees. For those that are looking to be even more strategic or more hands-on in their giving, they may want to consider setting up a private foundation. 
So a private foundation is where you're applying to CRA. You're setting up your own charitable foundation. You're usually involved in the governance and management. And the ability to create a uniquely named independent charitable foundation to set up for you or your family's values and carry them on into the future. It may be set up as a trust or a corporation, and it provides you and your family the ability to be able to customize, shape the direction and management of the foundation. Private foundations can be funded with any amount, but are typically used as a more focused or strategic or dedicated giving strategy when making larger gifts or looking for longer-term and wider family engagement. The creation and, found and operation of a private foundation generally involves specialized tasks. So you are issuing your own donation tax receipts. You are doing your annual filings to CRA. You are dispersing the money out to the charities that you're supporting. Um, you may also be working with an investment professional. Those are things you can take on yourself, or you may be working with your accountant or a state lawyer to plan for or other lawyers to plan for. Royal Trust also does have philanthropic services to help support the administration of those that are looking for a private foundation. So we'd be happy to have a conversation when we think about what sort of administration tasks somebody might be looking to offload or partner with for those uh, expertise and services. So really when we think about creating a legacy, it's about making a gift directly to a charity. That's fantastic. You want to be more strategic but not take on any administration. You might be thinking a donor-advised fund that's making the gift. All the administration is taken care of by the foundation. Or if you want to roll up your sleeves, that's where you're thinking about a private foundation, um, getting more involved, getting your family governance more involved. Regardless of how you choose to give, generosity is fantastic and never goes unnoticed by those organizations that you want to support. But I always encourage proper planning, get professional advice, take a bigger picture view, ask yourselves what are your charitable objectives, what opportunities exist to support that, and how can you make that lasting, uh, that lasting legacy impactful but also simple and streamlined within your other goals and objectives. So the first thing that we should really do is think about where we want to give, um, what we value, where we want to have impact. We want to talk to our family. We might want to consider gifting to organizations we have worked with. There's so much to consider, isn't there, Jennifer? Um, and if we want to find out more information about doing all of this, we can certainly go to the Royal Trust website at rbc.com slash Royal Trust to get that information and talk to someone there that can really help us do the things that make us feel good and give the most back to where we value. Thank you so much for this information, Jennifer. Unfortunately, we are out of time to talk about this for a lot longer. I really appreciate your advice this morning. Awesome. Thanks, Kathy. Really appreciate Thanks, the time. Jennifer. Marriage is the chief cause of divorce, Groucho Marx. Marriage and divorce at any age is a lot. And I hope what we were able to share with you today will help you, no matter which path you're on right now. In a couple of weeks, we're going to go back to the altar as we get into what a wedding for two grandparents might look like. Is there protocol? Should there be? Who gets to give the bride away? Or does that not happen at all anymore? You'll have to come back for that episode in July. Thanks to my guests, Rubina, Eva, and Jennifer today for walking through some complex financial scenarios and for helping us to keep all of our affairs in order. We're going to move away from financial health next week and get into getting outdoors for a conversation about why spending time in nature is good for you, your health, your grandchildren's health, and the whole planet. Nature sommelier Jacob Rodenberg has joined me to talk about his new book, The Book of Nature Connection. And after we spend some time outdoors with our grandkids, it's natural to want to have something to eat. 
But what snacks are healthier for grandkids than others? Friend of the show, Rose Reisman, returns to talk to do a choose it or lose it segment with snack foods. Making simple changes can make big differences when it comes to the health of us and our grandkids. Do you have a grandchild headed to the U.S. for their studies? Our Take 5 with RBC series continues with a checklist to cover everything they'll need so they can focus on their studies and not their finances. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you're going to come back next week or go back and listen to some of our great past episodes. You can find them on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and on the Zoomer Radio website, of course. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her, Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.